people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you are a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary doors in the North X. Please fill out one and drop it in the basket in the back. And we look forward to connecting with you. Our senior pastor, Reverend Alex Shipman, continues his sabbatical. If you have questions or concerns, please contact the elders. And a reminder, the nursery is open today. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church by using a link on our webpage, www.enterthevillage.net backslash give. Or mailing a check to our address at 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811 or after the service, dropping off your offering in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today, we welcome Marcus Nobles to the pulpit. And the women's ministry is collecting donations uh, for First Stop this holiday season through December 12th. Donations will be dropped off at the church. See the flyer sent out in flock notes uh, for the items needed or check firststop.org for more information. If you are interested in sending cards, letters to residents, or notes uh, to residents at local nursing homes for Christmas, please have your cards, letters, or notes in by December 5th to Dolores Lee. Thank you in advance for those who plan to participate. December 1st, is the first Wednesday of the month. Corporate prayer will be at 6 p.m. at the church and via Zoom. December 5th at 9.30 a.m. is the Village Kids Christmas Party in the Fellowship Hall. All children ages nursery through third grade are invited to join us in the Fellowship Hall for a time of ornament making, singing hymns, and celebrating the birth of our Savior. Please bring a donation to benefit First Stop at a Huntsville nonprofit serving the homeless. And Women's Ministry Christmas Town Hall is scheduled for December 7th from 6:30 to not to correction from 6:30 to 8 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. The discussion concerning future women's ministry events, cookies, and hot chocolate will be served. Also, bring your donations for First Stop. Uh, thank you very much. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us take moments to prepare our hearts for worship, to just chat with the Lord, to cast our cares at his feet, believing that he cares for
one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the days of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sing with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. If you would, please stand with me.
our call to worship this morning is um, taken from the song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Please join with me where it notes congregation. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly of all above all that we can ask or think.
Well, good morning. Truly, our God is able. Uh, today, I uh, stand to uh, kick off our uh, Advent uh, celebration of sorts. Uh, so today marks the first Sunday of the Advent season. Advent means coming or arrival. It is a time of preparation for our hearts and minds for remembering our Lord's birth on Christmas. We celebrate with the use of an Advent wreath. The wreath and candles are full of symbolism tied to the Christmas season. A wreath of evergreens signifies continuous life. The circle of the wreath, which has no beginning or end, symbolizes the eternity of God, the immortality of the soul, and the everlasting life we find in Christ. The candles also have their own special significance. The four candles represent the four weeks of Advent, and one candle is lit each Sunday. The first candle symbolizes hope and represents the expectation felt in anticipation of the coming Messiah. a particular order in which the candles are supposed to be lit and I don't know if I just did that so y'all forgive me if uh, if I did that wrong the theologian <laughs> is the one who does it wrong probably uh, the Advent reading which is also uh, the text for today is Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 so if you have your Bibles open up to Genesis chapter 3 and we will read verses 14 and 15 please listen carefully for this is God's word the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go, and to dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord.
Take your place, Jesus. Take your. 
Isn't it great that we can sing praise to God together, not just individually as families, but as, as a congregation, the family of God. Praise God for that privilege we have today. Uh, please join with me in prayer. Father, we celebrate this Advent season as some have called it the grand miracle of your coming uh, into our neighborhood and broken into uh, our culture, our lives. Supernaturally, you've come to this earth to be with us, to fulfill your promises, uh, to bring glory to yourself. We thank you for that. Help us during this season to be uh, more cognizant, Father, of what you've done entering history uh, on our behalf. Uh, We didn't have to do that. We were enemies. But you came willingly into this earth. You're born to intervene with a promise of making all things new. Father, we thank you that you are doing that in our own lives. We've seen that. That we've seen new members join in the last week or so at this church. We've seen how you work in their lives. We've seen how you work in our own lives. We look back. We thank you for your work in our lives now and our families. I thank you in our culture, you're working to renew all things to bring about justice and truth. Thank you, Father, that you indeed are good do all things well. And Father, in the midst of a fallen world we have to deal with each day, help us recognize that uh, you are at work accomplishing your purposes for your glory and our good. And Father, I lift those up today that are healing from surgeries, are facing surgeries. I pray for those who are facing COVID or have contracted it or are struggling with that. You would heal them, be close to them, Father. For those who struggle with work situations, with job situations, relationship problems in their families this holiday season, Father, I just pray that you would work through all these situations and help us recognize that you indeed are with us. You've promised to be with us. You fulfill your promises in your word to be our God and for us to be your people. Thank you that you fulfill that in so many ways. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that we can come to you, call your name. We love your name. We love what you've done, what you're doing. We just give you praise today that you would use your word as it goes forth today. Help Marcus, as he brings your word to us, we might again rejoice in your promises, in your faithfulness, in your love and your grace. And we give you praise in Jesus' name today as your people, in his name. Amen. This is on. Can you hear me? Good. All right. So good morning once again to all of you, my village family. And I really mean that when I say it. You guys have really been a family to us. Um, we haven't been here that long, but you've taken us in like your own. And we appreciate it. Um, it doesn't happen often. It also doesn't happen often that we have a place and a time that we can gather together like this as like-minded believers to come together and give praise and worship and glory and adoration to a God who is worthy of it. Amen? And our God truly is worthy of all of the praise and adoration that we give. Um, It's a blessing to be able to sing the word and to pray the word and now hear the word preached. And Amos, my my friend and my um, partner and and compatriot, every time that he asks me to preach, here at the village, um, I don't take it lightly. Um, it is an honor and a privilege, and I appreciate being in this space and being able to stand here and deliver God's word to his people. Um, I, I think Amos has been picking on me a little bit, though, because the last time that he asked me to preach, he gave me a whole chapter. And this time when he asked me to preach, he only gave me one verse. <laughs> but 
there is a blessing in all of the words that God has left for us gathered together in this collection that is the Bible. Amen. So whether it's an entire chapter or if it's just one verse, there is something that's meant for his people in it. Amen. So this Sunday, we just finished Thanksgiving. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving. Everyone eat lots of turkey, lots of food, lots of family, lots of friends. Um, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times because I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't missed any meals. So Thanksgiving is always a great time for me because I love to eat. And as we finish this season of Thanksgiving and begin this season of, of Advent, it's, to rem- it's a good uh, time to, and important to remember what we're thankful for. Family, friends, good food. <coughs> but it's also a time for us to shift our focus to Advent, to this season of waiting, and this season of waiting for our Savior. A Savior who would give his life for ours. Amen? One that will come to meet our needs those needs that we in our broken and in and that, that we in our broken state are in not in an adequate position to fill. It's true that we have much to be thankful for, yet we are still in a broken and fallen world that needs a savior. Amen. And it's here at the beginning of Advent that we can shift our focus to the coming of that Savior. And because we know of our brokenness as believers, we know that we need for one true Savior. But to truly understand Advent and to understand this need of a Savior, we have to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, where we'll be looking at the beginning of chapter 3, particularly Genesis 3.15. So let's start with prayer. Father God, we come to you humbly today as like-minded believers gathered together, thankful that you are our God and that we are your people. Father, may your people hear these words that you've left for us and let them write them on the tablets of their hearts and be forever changed by them. Not by me, by the person that's standing here, but by you, O God. And Father, in everything that we do, let us pour out ourselves and be filled with you and you alone. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're looking at Genesis 3, particularly Genesis 3.15, but I'm going to read starting at the top of Genesis 3 and we're going to dig into this text. As many of you know, Genesis begins at the beginning, right? When God creates the heavens and the earth and all that story, this, that, the other. And then we get to chapter three, and this is the fall. This is where Adam and Eve are in the garden and where they listen to the voice of the serpent and they sin against God and they plunge themselves and all of us into the turmoil that we face today, which is this fallen world that we live in. Genesis 3 starts with this. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field, said that the Lord God has made... Oh, sorry. Uh, let me start over. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewn fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's of this of this reading of God's holy inspired and inerrant word. The grass may wither and the flowers thereof may fade away, but the word of the Lord our God shall stand forever. Amen. So I want to direct special attention to Genesis 3:15. That's where we're going to really really um, rest in today where God says to the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this passage in Genesis 3:15 is one that's picked up on by the apostle Paul and at the very end of Romans chapter 16 Paul applies this same language of this verse to the victory of Jesus over Satan This passage, Genesis 3.15, has been called the first gospel. It's the gospel set forth in the context of Moses' writing in which he records God's curse on the serpent, but a curse which contains a promise to his believers. So as we dig into this, I want to focus our direction on a few points. The first one being this, our salvation begins with a curse. Sounds strange, right? Let's look at the text, Genesis 8. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now this was after they had already listened to the serpent. Right? So this is, a, this is after they had already sinned against God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And hear this, this is God's response to the, to the fall, to their sin. He, God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, listen to this, what is, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look at God's response to the original sin, to the first sin, to their sinfulness. It isn't angry. It isn't with wrath. It isn't with fear or with judgment. But he comes to them with kindness, asking them questions. Kind of like I do my kids, right? All of you that have kids, when you've caught them doing something red-handed, you stop for a second and you ask some questions like, hey, what you doing? Right? And you give them a moment to kind of think about it. Hey, what are you doing? And then look at how he further questions them. Are you doing what I told you not to do? Sounds very similar to how we react to our, to, 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 to our children doing wrong, right? We don't just come down on them. We meet them with loving kindness. And what makes me really happy about seeing that all the way back in Genesis 3 is that God has always met his children with kindness. Amen? He cultivates a response that is repentant. And he cultivates this repentant response with love, asking questions not judging them, not beating them, not saying, how dare you? But hey, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Didn't I tell you not to do that? With my kids, every time that I see them doing something wrong, the first thing I do is I tell them to stop and I say, hey, give me your hands. And I hold their hands, right? And I look them deep in the eyes and I say, hey, what are you doing? Didn't daddy tell you not to do that? Right? And when I do, Without yelling at them, without fussing at them, without spanking them, they instantly know that their daddy loves them. And that's exactly how God reacts to his children in this moment. At the very beginning, at the very first sin, he treats them with love and with kindness and asks them questions. 
now. Look at his response to the serpent. Genesis 14, 3, 14. The Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. He doesn't ask any questions of the serpent. He doesn't meet the serpent with loving kindness. He instantly says, because you've done this, cursed are you. He doesn't ask. He declares. He curses. And what's amazing in this text, in this, this little nugget of hope that is delivered along with the curse. In the next few verses, here are all judgment from God. And it's a just judgment. It's fitting to the case at hand. There are consequences for Adam and Eve because they have fallen, right? And that consequence is with mankind till this very day. And we see those consequences in verse 16 and on. And although Adam and Eve have these consequences, God only directly curses the serpent. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I see a bright, shining nugget of hope there. Right? Here in this text is the onset of our salvation. Here in this text is the first time that we see God reacting to his children's sin with loving kindness and directly cursing the serpent. So again, our salvation begins with the fall and the curse. Now, next point. That curse ends with a promise. In that curse, there is hope and a blessing and a promise to us. In God's curse of the serpent, there is a blessing and a promise for God's people. The God that we serve loves to turn curses into blessings. Amen? When we say what they meant for evil, God meant for good, here it is for the very first time. Right? When we say that he can take sorrow and give joy, here it is. When we say that he can give beauty for our ashes, it's right here in this text. In this one verse, he turns mourning into dancing. And it all starts right here in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity is a state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. God's response to the fall isn't anger towards his children, but enmity towards the serpent. God declares to the serpent, you've just picked a fight, and I'm choosing hostility. Right? God is saying, I am now actively against you, serpent. And, it is, and isn't it amazing that God does this immediately in front of Adam and Eve, even though they've done wrong, God actively is against the serpent right there immediately in that moment. Amen? God steps into this situation and goes to war against our enemy, and he doesn't back down. He goes to war for Eve and resolves to stay at war for all of her offspring. He goes to war against the enemy on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it and even though we can do nothing to earn it. All of that's right there in that verse. Forty-one times in the book of Genesis, the word for the term or seed or offspring or child is used. And those words are repeated to Adam in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. You and your seed, to you and your offspring, to you and your descendants, to you and to your children and to your children's children. Throughout the end of this book, this motif, this theme, this figurative speech of a seed is repeated over and over and over. And as it begins, this great, great theme that is picked up in the rest of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we read, An angel said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This seed, 
This is the seed that God was talking about all the way back in Genesis. Isn't that amazing? That this seed that the virgin brings forth, God proclaimed all the way back in Genesis 3. Satan tried to use Eve to turn her against God. But God used that very thing to plant a seed in the world that would crush Satan in the end. Amen? And here God's speaking to Satan, saying, this is exactly what I'm going to do to you. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, God lays out this plan of exactly how he's going to crush Satan. And he does it immediately, right away, as soon as the fall happens. Hear God speaking to Satan saying, this is exactly what I'm going to do to you. You sought to rob me of glory and do eternal damage to these humans that I created in my own image. And you sought to do it through this woman and through your wicked deception of her. Well, here's what I'm going to do, Satan. I'm going to use this woman to bring the savior of the world who will crush your head. Amen. Ligon Duncan put it this way. It's a picture of how God's love, how, how God loves to reverse the stratagems of the evil one against us and use the very thing that he would use against God's own glory and our everlasting good. Our salvation begins with a woman bearing a child, the seed, who is ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. So that curse ends with a promise. And our salvation began with that curse. Last point, and I'll close with this, and it's an easy one to preach. That promise is Jesus Christ. Amen? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall. He. Singular. God's promise in the curse to the serpent moves from plural to singular. That he that will crush the head of the serpent is Jesus. Amen? We can celebrate in this Advent season because we know that the darkest day in human history, the fall, gives way to the brightest hope in human history because that he that will end Satan's power is coming. That's what Advent is all about. Amen? And the promise that God gives here is that the worst that the serpent can do to the one that is coming is bruise his heel. Mm. Let me say that again so that you really get it. What God's promise here in this verse is that the worst that the serpent can do to the one that is coming is bruise his heel. We can rejoice in this season of Advent because this season is the period that we celebrate the coming of our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, Jesus Christ. His carnation, his advent into this world is the reason that we can celebrate the glad tidings and have a Christmas season. Because our salvation has come. Amen? He came to be made flesh, to live and breathe as a man, to face temptation and humiliation and suffer on our behalf, to be bruised, to be beaten, to be crucified, and to die for us, his people. Amen? All of redemptive history revolves around this one thing, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus on the cross. That God loved us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And to overcome that death and be resurrected with all power. Amen? Our greatest need in life is directly connected to God's greatest accomplishment. He came and he died for us. Hmm his people that he chose to fit our need. On the cross. 
Without the blood, there is no message. Without the blood, there is no power. Without the blood, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the reason why we celebrate and give thanks and focus our hearts and our minds on Advent, the coming of the seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for thinking of us all the way back in Genesis. At the very onset of the fall, you met us with kindness. You met us with graciousness. You met us with hope. And right away, you cursed the serpent, but you did not curse us, your children. And Father, thank you for the seed that, is, that, that was coming, that is come, and will come again. Thank you for allowing us to be your people. And Father, thank you for being our God. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ.
Amen.